Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in his own apartment is my good buddy Don Luzjishin. Don, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you today? Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited. We've got uh, the Twitter famous Ruby in the house. Uh, your dog's here, so I'm sure um, she'll be making a cameo, and we'll get some sort of a uh, appearance, whether it's in howling form or or hot take form or something. She has the hottest takes. She does have the hottest takes. Um, so today, you and I, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. I think we're going to save it till probably early next week. Um, so hopefully nothing too dramatic or catastrophic happens in the meantime. But if it does, um, be aware of that. Uh, I thought today would be a good time for us to talk a little bit about uh, the ind- individual awards and the races for that and some of the betting odds and sort of where we're at with that. We're over the third uh, the third way mark of the season. There's no like third way poll. Um, and so now we're kind of getting into that region of the season where a lot of the numbers are becoming more legit and more more sustainable, and we can kind of say with confidence what's happening and what's not. And it's always fun to talk about these awards and talk about the best players in the league and try to hammer out some of these arguments and look ahead to uh, what the raging debates will be come June when it's award season. Um, let's start with the Norris Trophy, because <laughs> when I suggested this topic to you when I got here, you're like, okay, let's do it. And then we were both like, wait, who's the favorite this year? Like, it seems like... Um, you know, there isn't an obvious uh, sort of media-driven storyline yet. It feels like every year Ryan we have... Ryan McDonough. Yeah, I've heard a lot of Ryan McDonough buzz. And, and you know, we're going to slander Ryan McDonough. But to, in his defense, I think he's been a lot better than he mm-hmm. showed. Like mm-hmm. he, he looked like he was on a big-time downward trajectory last year. And whether it's health or acclimation to a new surroundings or what have you, um, he's been pretty good. I don't think he's been Norris Trophy good. But... Um, I said this on a podcast recently. I feel like Alex Petrangelo really is crap in the bed here because obviously now he's injured, unfortunately. But it felt like this really could have been a year for the Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. He's earned it. This is his time, Buzz, if he just had like an Alex Petrangelo season. But Maybe. unfortunately, he's been bad and the Blues have been like yeah, an abomination. Maybe if he got traded to the Leafs, he might get that buzz. But uh, he's not getting it on that team No, with the way he's played this year. Yeah, he's not, and I don't think anyone on that on that team is going to be uh, in the discussion for any awards. Um, but who do uh, who who are you thinking? Because we threw some names out here before we started. Let's 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 go through the list of sort of the I don't know handful of guys that seem mm-hmm. like they're having the best seasons. Uh, before we get to the favorites, who are not Ryan McDonough, I just want to say that Ryan McDonough is having a great season. He's taking the load off of Hedman and taking shutdown assignments and doing well. In those assignments, I do think part of the buzz is his plus-minus, as it does. I remember last year I wrote an article about how the Norris Trophy generally gets decided, and it's generally a mix of points, facing tough comp, 
plus minus and being on a good hockey team. And Ryan McDonough checks all those boxes. Plus, you have the fact that he hasn't won it yet. So you have the it's his turn factor. So I can see why there's buzz. I just don't think he should be that close to the conversation. Um, For me, and we both mentioned this before we start recording, but you see the way Calgary is playing this year and Mark Giordano, who I think is 57 years old, is still yep. chugging along as an elite defenseman. He's point per game right now. He's still tilting the ice mm-hmm. as well as he ever has, even without Dougie Hamilton this year. Um, and he's just been a big driving force of how good the Flames are, how great their power play has been this year as well. And I think he probably, if, if it's anyone's, like every year it's always his turn. I feel like I'm not sure why Mark Giordano isn't getting the it's his turn buzz. Yeah. And he's also got the plus minus working in his favor. It's plus 18 on the year, right okay. behind uh, Michael Kempney and Ryan McDonough. At a, <laughs> Is at it Kempney's turn? It's Kempney's turn, man. He's uh, he's putting up some numbers. No, mm-hmm. it's I think Giordano, obviously, the production speaks for itself. The 32 points in 30 games. Um, the fact that he, as you mentioned, has shown that you know i think for the past couple years people were wondering how much uh dougie hamilton was sort of extending giordano's peak and and usefulness and it turns out that giordano himself can prove to be perfectly capable without dougie hamilton's services on his side and the flames have that uh narrative brewing as well in terms of the good storyline because they very easily could win the pacific division they're playing really exciting hockey. They're fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and Giordano, the captain, is kind of the driving force for that success. So it seems like it could be a perfect storm of in the, the next couple of weeks. And as we get further along into the season of people going like, I don't know, this could be Mark Giordano's year. Yeah, I see it for sure. Who else is there? Um, I think Chris Letang is yep. in the conversation, depending on whether the Penguins can turn around. Because the rest of that defense has been brutal. And he has been carrying that team to respectability john carlson's having a great year uh not just points wise but he's doing much better um with puck possession and whatnot better than he usually does and he unlike the other guys we're going to mention he doesn't face tough minutes because in washington that goes to orlov and niskanen but those guys have been not very good this year yeah and carlson i mean he just got michael kempney a plug on this podcast i mean there we go that's a testament to what he's been doing this year yeah he's been a a pleasant surprise because after he signed that contract this summer i think a lot of people were deservedly lukewarm on it i'd say i I don't think anyone was super critical just because you know he's still in his in his prime he's obviously a useful player but Mm -hmm. just in terms of how the capitals cap situation is shaking out yeah i think a lot of people thought they probably won't or shouldn't be able to afford him because they could probably use that money elsewhere. Um, and you know, he's always been a tad bit overrated for what his underlying numbers are actually like compared to how mm-hmm. people talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's taken his game to another level yeah. this year, I feel like, which based on his age and how long he's been in the league is a bit surprising to me, but it's a testament to him. Yeah, and I think it does help that he no longer has to carry Carl Osner around. It's true. Although, I mean, last year he was playing with Michael Kempney full-time, and he was fine. Yeah, he was fine, exactly. I I feel like he's gotten even better this year. Yeah, but the years before, he always didn't look that great. And I think it's always a struggle to take quality of teammates into account, especially with defense pairings. And Carlson was always this overrated guy. And we see what Alsner is now in Laval, not even Montreal. And uh, as soon as he got a capable partner, the underrated Michael Kempney last year at the deadline, because... Even before Kemdi rolled in, uh, I think he was playing a lot with Brooks Orpik last year, which yep. is an even worse fate than Carl Alsner. And as soon as he got a cable partner, he started looking much better. And this year, we're seeing that where he's above water possession-wise. Well, I think you and I have had this discussion on the podcast before, actually, but I wanted to rehash it because Michael Kemdi is a great example of this, um, of a guy who... We see these defensemen time and time again in the NHL. Like I feel like during his time in Chicago, he was putting up these ridiculous underlying numbers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was sort of being that prototypical sheltered third pairing defenseman where, you know, he was probably feasting on easier competition and he wasn't necessarily being asked to do too much. And he was obviously making the most of his opportunities. But when we're looking at guys like that, like what are we looking at to feel more confident saying we can take a guy like that and plug him into a bigger role, maybe on a different team? And he'll still be able to thrive as opposed to being one of these guys 
you know, Eric Jelenar or whoever go on down mm-hmm. the line that we've seen time and time again where they have ridiculous shot share numbers in limited roles. And then all of a sudden, if you ask them to do anything more, they're just going to completely fall apart. Yeah, we, we have seen that a bit. But some of the, I guess, cases where it has worked, like a Kempney, like a Nate Schmidt, I think. Yeah, Vegas killed it with it. Yeah. Right? With like Colin Miller, mm-hmm. Nate Schmidt. I mean, even Braden McNabb. Yeah, I think Colin Miller, he was sheltered last year in Vegas. But when Schmidt was out, he was moved up the lineup a bit and still thrived. And what I noticed anecdotally, and this would obviously take a lot more testing, but the guys that do succeed in those bigger roles tend to be the guys who can enter and exit the zone. They do well the puck. They're the guys driving the bus. Like if you look at uh, the data track by equationator, I think with Schmidt, when he was in Washington, he was just insane across the board. And that's why I think he was able to parlay what he did in a third pairing role and transfer that to far up the lineup. Whereas Someone like, say, Julius Honka is was fine in a third-pairing role, but didn't do as much with, I guess, the puck. He just sort of had those results, and if you asked him to do something more, he didn't really get to it. And I used to be a Julius Honka truth, but that was mostly because he seemed to do well on the power play, and that also has value, but he probably isn't the guy at five on five. Yeah. I'm surprised you saying that name didn't like cause Tyler Dello to randomly appear. Here, you know? <laughs> um, no, you're right. I think if you actually go back in the, uh, in the archives of my articles, it was the year before the expansion draft where two guys I identified cause I was tracking all the playoff games for mm-hmm. defensemen, Nate Schmidt and Shea Theodore were two of the guys yeah. that really popped off the page in terms of how smooth they were in the neutral zone, both with moving the puck and actually also using their feet to, be like tr- modern day defenders i feel like aren't the guys who are like throwing big hits in the neutral zone mm-hmm. it's more so the guys who can like keep that gap control and play good positioning and use their sticks well and those are two guys mm-hmm. that really stuck out to me and obviously vegas um identified them as well as guys that could thrive in bigger roles and so far both guys have looked awesome there so i'm not surprised to hear that so it's, it's it sounds like it's a kind of combination of uh the numbers and i guess the eye test as well right seeing like identifying actual individual skills that could potentially lead mm-hmm. themselves to mm-hmm. be useful in a better bigger role and that's where better data yes. would help immensely because there's been so many times where analytics people including the both of us have been caught down the rabbit hole of okay give this guy better minutes look how good he his numbers are and that might not be the case because he doesn't maybe have the individual skill set to move up the lineup yeah well i feel like it would be great for providing context for how those numbers are being accumulated right Mm -hmm. and obviously i think i was talking about this with uh with rob pizzola our our, our mutual friend um that's gonna go on a podcast i'm not sure maybe some point next week but um you know the nhl is going to be using all this new proprietary tracking data to partner with MGM and they're probably going to release it publicly eventually. And I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes made where people are going to really like zone in on specific little micro stats Mm -hmm. and lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think that's going to be a mistake, but I think when you're looking at the bigger picture and then you take a deeper dive and you go, okay, what's, what's happening to cause these numbers. And then you can kind of identify either strong factors or weak links in a person's game and then put them in a position to thrive, I think that's where we're going to squeeze the most value out of it. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, so we've got... I, I, I agree so far. I, I think Giordano and John Carlson um, have good cases. We are talking about Morgan Riley a bit. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, it's funny. There's going to... There's like a huge Toronto contingent, obviously, on mm-hmm. hockey Twitter that's going to be pushing this, obviously, and are huge Morgan Riley fans. And then there's going to be like a natural pushback to it. Mm-hmm. And some of it is deserved and some of it is not, but a lot of it is just that like Toronto fatigue where people are just, as soon as someone starts talking about a guy from the Leafs, they're going to go like, no, you're like, you're so full of it. You're just yeah. making a bigger case than it is. But I mean, he's obviously been great this season. Yeah, he has. And with the Toronto thing, and you saw this with Mitch Marner, yeah, he players get so overrated that there's this complete opposite effect on the other side to completely trash a player to the point where they're also com- seriously underrated. Yep. And the right answer is, somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. So I don't think Morgan Riley is a front runner for the Norris. I don't think he's even in the top three, but I think he is definitely a dark horse candidate this year with how he's played. He's scoring points, obviously on a lethal power play, but that's never hurt any other Norris candidate. And I think what gets overlooked a lot with his underlying numbers is that he does 
often get the toughest assignments and has to do so with 65-year-old Ron Hainsey, who <laughs> isn't even a right-handed shot and is playing on the right side. And it sometimes feels like it doesn't even matter which way Ron Hainsey shoots. Like, he is just not the most competent player with his stick. And you see that Morgan Riley has a much tougher time having to do the job he does because... Yeah teams know they can just attack the left side and it'll be makes breaking out the zone difficult. And that's why his zone exit numbers aren't as sterling as I guess some of the other guys who would be there. And especially for a guy who has a reputation as a puck moving defenseman. But I think if he played for any other team that wasn't Toronto, he would be getting a lot of, why aren't we talking about this guy who right. has one of the toughest usage situations in the league and is going point per game and, breaking even in shot rates and does have the the plus minus to go with yes. the usual North Kansas scene. I think there's a case for him to at least be in the conversation. Yeah. Man, for a, a pair of guys who hate plus minus, we've talked about it a yeah, lot yeah, in the yeah. first 15 minutes of the show. Yeah. And, but that's what, if we're talking about award cases, that is something that award voters consider. And at the same time, while it's not like, useful it bears mentioning sometimes not just plus minus but i guess like at least five on five goals that take out the garbage yeah. of it um let's talk about someone whose plus minus sucks who should get consideration All right. eric, eric carlson mm-hmm. yeah i agree good luck uh convincing the voters mm-hmm. um that he has been deserving of it and listen i, mean, I think there's like i'm one of the biggest eric carlson fan out there and i've been defending him for years um I think there's the couple guys you mentioned before are more deserving based on what they've done so far this year. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm very curious to see how um, sort of the final 50 games or so go for the Sharks because they've shown flashes of having that excellence that we expected from them before the year. And they haven't really ha- been able to put it together for a sustained stretch. Obviously, um, you know, they're dominating the shot shares and possession and their expected goals. And it looks like they have a very viable case to be one of the best teams in the league. Um there's goaltending concerns there with Martin Jones, obviously, but I think that I wouldn't be surprised at all if they did put it together in the second half and Carlson went on a crazy run where he was like averaging like 1.2 points per game or something yeah. like that for the final 40, 50, 50 games. Yeah, and uh, he's a big part of why their shot share and their yep. schedule share is so high. And I wrote this in my 31 stats column, I think two weeks ago, and the Sharks experimented with Carlson and Vlasic as a shutdown pair and the underlying numbers were great. They were just getting torched yeah. and scored upon. So DeBoer went to old reliable, which is Vlasic and Braun, and they've been getting destroyed yeah. on a nightly basis. And it sort of feels like the problem wasn't Eric Carlson. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah. Um, you know what? He's, he has the offensive numbers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's having a typical offensive season for, for Brent Burns standards, but he's from every time I've watched the Sharks, he has not looked very good this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Carlson um, is going to need to be driving the bus there for them to continue yeah. success. And I, I really just want them to revisit that shutdown pairing because I think it could be one of the most effective pairings in the league. They just got, it, it was a grace period for Carlson because he was a new team, a new system. He hasn't played that role in Ottawa because they, for some reason, gave it to Cody Ceci. And I think now, 33 games in, he's more acclimated with the system. He probably knows better what Vlasic plays like. I think it could work a lot better because right now they're separating the three guys into three pairs, and I don't think that's the best way to go about things. Yeah, yeah, especially in, in as we head towards the playoffs, right? I think this team has Stanley Cup aspirations or at least mm-hmm. being a contender and um, front-loading the lineup and playing your stars as often as possible seems like uh, what they should be focusing on. Um, yeah, I don't know if there are any other guys, to be honest, um, that are really warranting conversation. Like, none of the National Predators guys have really um, separated themselves from the pack, mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, I don't know. I think that's, I mean, we, we, we listed four or five guys there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the Vesna. Yeah. Let's talk goalies. Um. This is one I feel a lot better about because I feel like there's two guys that have been head and shoulders above the pack, and then there's another one or two guys that I think are right behind them, mm-hmm. and then it's like everyone else. Yeah. Do you... I feel like there's one guy who's 
severely above everyone right. else, and then I think possibly two guys who are so, battling out. Well, let's let's who, who are your guys? So John Gibson is he's saved twenty two goals. Yeah. Above, we got the same page up. We got the same page up, Um, which is just like frankly insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at this a while back um, in the analytics uh, Corsica era. So going back to 2007, there's like one Tim Thomas season there, Mm -hmm. and then there's like two Sergei Bobrovsky years where like they were in the 30s or maybe even approaching the 40s in Mm -hmm. terms of goal saved. And man, if Gibson keeps this up and he stays healthy, like he's gonna shatter all of those seasons in terms of individual excellence and i mean just the fact that the ducks are still yeah sitting in a playoff spot some of it has to do with the long keeps of division but i mean the fact that they've stayed afloat with all the early injuries they had and just the general randy carlisle-ness of their team mm-hmm. um is it's remarkable how good he and ryan miller have been like yeah, their goaltending yeah. has been carrying them on a nightly basis yeah uh i'm with you i think it's john gibson's world we're just living in it yeah. um before the season started I had Gibson rated as the best goalie in the league and pretty much the sole reason that I had Anaheim comfortably in a playoff spot because I recognized the rest of the roster was kind of crummy, but they had Gibson, who I think I had carrying similar value to some of like the best forwards in the league. And it's hard to be certain about goalies, but he was so far above the rest that it wasn't that difficult to say that because I think he was... He's the only goalie who's been above 920, I think, three or four years in a row. And he's just been so remarkably consistent. And this year, even with a terrible team in front of him, I think his expected save percentage is under 900. And he's still managed a 924, which is just incredible and contributes to that. Yeah. 22 goals saved. And I tweeted a couple days ago about how the Ducks are much better with Andre Kasha in the lineup and quoted their much better Corsi at 48.5%. And <laughs> to most people, it'd be like, wow, that's still an awful hockey club. And to me, I'm like, that's good enough with John Gibson. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. To at least like be competitive enough on a yeah. basis. Yeah, I agree. I think Gibson's clearly been the, uh, the cream of the crop. I think the year Freddie Anderson is having, mm-hmm. um, especially with, here's the thing. Um, and I'm not even going to consider like the, the two different markets and the attention on them. I think, just in terms of how good the two respective teams are. Um, like if the Ducks do, for whatever reason, fall off, if John Gibson plays like a mere mortal mm-hmm. in the second half of the year, and the Leafs are just going to win so many more games and just be so much more relevant than, than the Ducks team that I feel like from a voter perspective, um, Freddie Anderson could potentially steal some votes from him just because of mm-hmm. sort of obviously being deserving, but also all the other stuff that goes into that voting. Yeah, and Vesna isn't voted by... Professional Hockey Writers Association, so we can't even lobby really on Twitter for yeah. John Gibson's goal saved above average. But Anderson has been incredible this year. He's been the MVP of a very strong Leafs team who has defensive issues, but those defensive issues have been mitigated immensely by his play. I think that the Leafs, for all their defensive warts, are top 10 in goals against this year, and that's largely because of Anderson. I think. Pecorini, though, is yeah. probably right there with him. Yeah, as 929 well. on the year, and mm-hmm. uh, double digits also in goals saved. I think he's like fourth behind uh, Anderson, Gibson, and, and Halak. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's having a second straight awesome season. And I think it's, I'm really happy that for a variety of reasons that he's been this good, but especially because can you imagine how annoying it would be if he struggled this year out of the gate and how all the articles being written about how last year's game seven against the jets and him getting pulled and his mm-hmm. struggles there, mm-hmm. you know, resulted in these, in, the, in these struggles. He's, he's shaken yeah. and his confidence is shaken. He can't perform anymore. And it just be, it would be so exhausting. So the fact that he's having a good year sort of, um, goes a long way towards eliminating those stupid narratives and, mm-hmm. and sort of that psychological element of it. And there's also the old analytics narratives about how Pecorine was one of the worst goalies in the league propped up by the national defense. Yep. And now he's completely, turn it around like i was one of the people who wrote those articles i think three or four years ago and he's been a changed man ever since and i just want to say kudos to you pecorine if you're listening to yeah, the cast and, and kudos to the predators he mm-hmm. obviously is uh has, has nothing better to do um <laughs> and kudos to the predators for handling um the financial situation well yeah i really like the contract that they signed him to because i feel like there was a potential there for them to give him a ridiculous loyalty contract that was many, many years too long. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was only a two-year deal after this year. So mm-hmm. um, 
it's completely reasonable. And now they're going to have him and Soros as like a top three to five goalie pair for the next couple of years for like less than most teams will be paying just their starters. So mm-hmm. it's a, a pretty sweet spot that they've uh, got themselves in. I think, do you think Vasilevsky has a chance to enter this discussion? Obviously his full season numbers are ridiculous. Um, he missed a stretch of time with injury. So his games played is a bit lower than some of these other guys, but if he stays healthy the rest of the year, like the lightning ride him pretty hard, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get into the fifties in terms of starts, which probably be enough. Mm, yeah, I think we'll see then. I think there's a potential for the lopsided win record to right. have a big factor in that. I know last year his goal saved above average was, I think it might've been negative yeah. and he still met. Did he win the Vezina last year? Was that, no did he he did not who pack renee yes Rene. yeah okay it was renee renee hellebuck and, and Vasilevsky were there. And I, I, I just recall him being nominated despite that yeah. and then someone like Bobrovsky well he was amazing and, to start the year and then yeah. he really dipped and it was his first full season as a yeah. starter so i understand that yeah but. but i just remember being very miffed that Bobrovsky and especially john gibson weren't nominated when they were so much better just they didn't have the team backing them to those w's yeah yeah, I like, um, I think Vasilevsky definitely, I mean, you saw that performance he had last night against Sure the did. And obviously, uh, you know, his A game is right up there, and just in terms of like what he can do physically. Yeah. Um, and so if he can string together enough games without that drop-off he had last year, mm-hmm. with how good the Lightning are, are going to be, I think it's perfectly reasonable to lump him in with those other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there isn't anyone really else. Like, I've been kind of pleasantly surprised to see... Uh, Braden Holtby continue his strong playoff run and you know he's been up and down a little bit this year but he looks much better than he did last regular season and there were concerns about whether uh, his best days were behind him so that's good but otherwise I think it's pretty clear that those top two or three guys are above the pack mm-hmm. um John let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we're going to keep this conversation going on the other end of things getting tickets to sporting events can be far too complicated with hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability how do you know who to trust out there that's why SeatGeek's so clutch, because they're going to take all the guesswork out of it for you by doing all the work. SeatGeek's going to pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you're looking for, for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to their action for a great value. Not only does SeatGeek identify the best seats that fit your budget with their grading system, but every purchase is also fully guaranteed, so you can shop with supreme confidence knowing that what you pay for is what you're going to get. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. We're in that gift-giving part of the year now with Christmas approaching, and it's going to make for a great opportunity for you to get in on the action and get someone significant in your life that you hold near and dear to your heart tickets to go watch their favorite team play live in person. Um, and the best part is, is that I know that all the prices and all the costs are going to add up as you get all these gifts around this time of year. And SeatGeek is going to, you know, make that a little bit easier for you by giving you a little bit of a discount just because you're a PDOcast listener. So as my listener, you're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. To get in on it, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Hockey PDOcast. All right. The Rocket Richard. I think this is the most exciting um, award for a number of reasons. Obviously, mm-hmm. goals are very fun, but also um, just the names involved and sort of the feats that we're seeing this season. Yeah, uh, I think eventually it's gonna slow down, right? Um, I don't know. Like I, even at this point in time, like you tend to see like right seventy five percent of the players maintain like a point per game pace, they're going to slow down from these video game numbers, I think, but we're probably going to see like 30 point per game players this year. There are currently mm-hmm. 50 guys yep. at a point a game and 44 of them are over a point a game. Yep. I, I think around 30 to 40 is probably where we settled yeah. in, which is still, which is still a lot absurd from where we yeah. were last year. Cause they were just like, I remember when I was doing projections before the start of the year, I only had, I think 15, or so above point per game, but there were so many people above 75 where you look at them, you're like, you know what, this guy, I can imagine, I can see it. I remember, I think I had Eichel at like 78 points. I'm like, if Eichel rips off 95, I would not be surprised. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. But I mean, especially in terms of goals, like, yeah, I mean, obviously some of these guys, um, the shooting percentages are uh, not going to continue just 
we can say that with certainty just because even though we're living in a different era now, um, you know, we've never really seen a guy shoot at even a reasonable volume for over 20% for a full year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like what brain point is he still shooting like 25%? Mm -hmm, Um, Something like that. Yeah. Obviously even on that, um, lightning team, we're not really expecting that. Yeah. He's 24.1%. I mean, Jeff Skinner's at 22.7. Ovechkin's over 21. Like a lot of these guys, Joe Pavelski, 22. Uh, that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. Now, most of these guys shoot at such a high volume that they're going to be able to maintain, you know, they're not going to completely fall off if those shooting percentages reg- normalize. But mm-hmm. I don't think, like right now, we're basically headed for like a handful of guys approaching 60. And <laughs> considering what we've seen in the past few years, where like if you're in the 40s, you're a freaking star. Um, it's just a different world we're living in. And I think yeah. we're going to have to readjust to that. But I think there probably is at least a bit of a middle ground moving forward. Yeah. Uh, and Ovechkin's obviously leading right now at 25 and 30. I don't think he's going to score on one fifth of his goals, whatever he's at now. No. And it still just feels hard to take him out as the front runner right now, just because the lead he has and the fact that he's Alex Ovechkin. Um, do you think it'll be him or line a this year? Well, so he's, so I was looking up the odds for the mm-hmm. betting odds. Um, so he's plus 380. Okay. So you, you bet 100, you win 380 mm-hmm. uh, for those at home. McDavid, Line, and McKinnon are next at plus 1,000, which makes me feel like that's like a pretty massive gap. That is a very massive gap. Yeah. And then you've got Matthew. McDavid? Yeah. And then, well, we'll get into him on our Ross. But then you've got Matthews, Pasternak, and Braden Point next at like 11 to 13 to 1. Mm-hmm. Um I think if I was if I was betting if I was a betting man, I would feel very uncomfortable betting against Alex Ovechkin just uh, because at, even uh, at plus three eight, those are pretty good odds. No, it is, but yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, I, it, it, I think line A, for example, like what we saw from him for a while there, and, and sort of the insane binges he can go on, and what his ceiling is if he keeps shooting as much as he has this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's got um, tremendous upside to potentially dethrone Ovechkin in this award. Um, and there's enough, the field is so good this year, but I mean, Ovechkin's still, still the goat. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I haven't seen anything otherwise from him. I mean, just the fact that he played what, 106 games last year, drank all summer, became a father, mm-hmm. won a Stanley cup and he just comes back and now he has 25 goals in 30 yeah. games. Like just obscene. I mean, the theory, what if Ovechkin was really bogged down by the constant pressure of winning a cup that now he's playing free and easy. Now he's playing, he's letting loose. He's having fun easy, out there. Breezy, beautiful Ovechkin. He's having fun out there. He's having fun, and he's scoring goals at a rate he hasn't in a long time. And uh, yeah, I think that that might have been it. Just this was the mainstream media's fault that he wasn't doing this all along. Yeah, I'm glad he's been unleashed, and now he can finally start scoring mm-hmm. some goals. It's, a, it's an exciting time. Um, who would you would you have Line a after Ovechkin in that? Yeah, I think it's between. Ovechkin and Line A, if Matthews wasn't injured, I think he would definitely be in the conversation. He has 16 in 18 games. Yep. But that injury really took off whatever volume he could have had. And I think the rest of the guys, I'm less confident in. Like, they might fall off. Like, maybe Pasternak will be up there. Yeah. Maybe Skinner. Not as confident in Braden Point keeping up 26%. Yeah, he's not going to shoot that high. What I will say about Braden Point is, like, he's in a pretty sweet spot right now with how he's being used. Mm-hmm. Like, playing with Kucherov at 5-on-5 five five mm-hmm. and uh, being on that, like, basically the trigger man on the top power play unit. Finally, because um, he wasn't to start. No, he wasn't. Yeah. And, and so, obviously, that's going to be a great spot where I wouldn't be surprised to see him flirt with, like, the high teens. Mm-hmm. And he's shooting quite a bit this year, so... I don't think he's got the upside that Ovechkin and Line do in this race, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Braden Point have a crazy offensive season that's mm-hmm. going to result in many, many dollars coming his way this summer. Yeah. Or a contract standoff. Oh, I can't imagine anyone doing that. Um, okay, yeah, I, I like Ovechkin for this. Where I, I don't think there's any like real dark horse sleepers that could rise quite a bit, right? Like It seems like most of the... I mean, it's crazy. We've already got eight guys over 20 goals. Mm-hmm. And we're at like yeah the third waypoint through the season. It's uh, Joe Pavelski has twenty goals and seven assists. I I didn't even know that, but that's uh that's quite the stat. He line. does, yeah. He's shooting twenty two point two percent. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean he's been uh, he's been good for them. Mm-hmm. Timo Meyer as well is right up there. Um, the Art Ross 
So this was a, a testament to, and this obviously isn't an award, well, same with the Rocket Richard, it's not an, an award we're voting for, but I did want to get to this because I noticed that McDavid, and maybe deservedly so, is still a pretty heavy favorite um, to win this, even though Rantanen has built up a nice little cushion here, but I get it. I mean, uh, I would not want to bet against McDavid in this award either. Although mm-hmm. Kucherov, Kucherov, I remember he started off a bit slow this year, yeah. and people were like, Oh, he's just, he's overpassing. He's just not playing his game. And now he's got 47 points in 33 games. And he had a stretch there where it was like, I think he had like 25 points in 10 games or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. He's not just bad. been not ins- bad. insane. So yeah, he's been just fine. But yeah, I don't know. Like what, I apologize to Miko Rantanen on the most recent podcast I did because uh, myself and Andrew Berkshire didn't have him in our top 20 wingers to start the year. And obviously now he's on pace for 135 points. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've been deservedly getting some flack for that. Where, what's a reasonable? Because you do the projections for yeah. end of year. What do you think is a reasonable projection for what to expect from Miko Rantanen the rest of the year? Because obviously he's not going to keep this up. But when a guy does have fifty-two points in thirty-one games, mm-hmm. I feel like you do need to sort of expand your horizons in terms of what is possible, especially considering. Um, just how good himself, McKinnon, and Landis Gog are. So, you know, they're eventually going to go through a bit of a percentage swoon, and it's not going to be two to three points per game for them. But mm-hmm. I think, of like, what are we expecting as a reasonable outcome for him? Uh, it's tough because that line is shooting lights out now. I think they might still have an insane on-ice shooting percentage, yeah. as you'd expect from a high-powered line, but just I don't think to that degree. Right. Um, my projections are based on the last three years, weighted for recency, age adjusted. So, number one, Connor McDavid, 120 point pace is what I think his true talent levels at. Yep. Number two, Nathan McKinnon, 107, and number three, Mika Randon at 100. Yeah. So he just the way he's played this year has been enough to put him on that level of point scoring ability, where I think that 100 points is a reasonable midpoint for him which is seems absurd i wouldn't be surprised if he just completely cools off but he's been at that level since i think last december or so since being put on a line with mckinnon full-time wait so you you're you're expecting him to be a hundred point player the rest of the way or you're expecting him to end the year around 100 points uh the rest of the way so he would end around like 105 to yeah. 110 i think yeah it's true i mean i, I was I, I was thinking even like for if he just ended the year at 100 points, that's mm-hmm. 48 points in the next 51 games, which is like nearly a point. Like that's still a pretty damn good pace. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, based on what he's done so far, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's weird because I can't like lines and players go through slumps, especially scoring goals. But this line, it's really, it really does seem like every game they're generating at least like two goals. It's just, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, it's insane. I still can't fathom it. Last year in my fantasy hockey leagues the guy was just like trying to give Ranton away. Like he's trying to upgrade his like keepers or whatever. And like yeah. no one wanted him just cause he was peddling him so much. Like, Oh, you can't be that good. Why you keep trying to give him away? And then he decides to lead the league in scoring through the first 30 games. Yeah. It's um, yeah, I guess with McDavid, like, I mean, what he has 45 points in 31 games so far. Mm-hmm. But the thing with him is like, he's just doing it. So, um, sustainably i feel like is yeah. is, is the right word because like it's weird because a lot of these other guys and some of these wonky numbers we're seeing in the early early in the year you're looking at the percentages you're just based on past expectations you're like okay this is eventually going to stop mm-hmm. but mcdavid it's like he's just he's not doing anything that seems out of the ordinary like no. he's just doing like one two points a game occasionally he bursts out for a three four point game but it's just like constantly chipping away at it shooting a reasonable percentage pretty in line with what he's done throughout his career and he's just like every year he's just like, like just raising the benchmark ever so slightly mm-hmm. and i what do you think the what do you think the reasonable ceiling is because obviously like at his peak yeah like uh, let's say like three years from now when he's like at that combination of like physical peak and strength while also still not having his skills deteriorated at all and he's still flying at an all-time high like I mean, if the game obviously keeps going this way, it might be impossible to answer that question. Mm-hmm. But let's say things stay where they're at right now. Like, could we see him flirt with like 150? I I don't. That <laughs> like, I remember when Crosby was getting like 100 points a year. Yeah, 
and he might have been like a hundred, hundred and ten point player. Yeah. And then he went off for I think sixty seven and forty one and was yeah. flirting with one thirty five. Yeah. So if you During a time where like no one was scoring yeah, goals. Exactly. And I think McDavid as of now seems like he's a better scorer than Crosby was early in his career and I don't think 150 is out of the question in his peak best season. Yeah. Cuz I don't think we've seen it yet, which is extremely frightening. Yeah, man, 30 32 goals and 66 points in 41 games in 2010-11 before yeah. that concussion or before mm-hmm. the concussions. Um yeah, that's uh that's one of those all-time what ifs. Man, that three-year span where he didn't have one full season was like it just breaks your heart because that is those were his that was his peak and it was just taken away from everyone. Yeah, like I remember that point streak during that sixty-six and forty-one games, and he looked insane. Yeah, he was just unstoppable. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because he was doing it in like very Sidney Crosby fashion. Like it's not like like when you watch McDavid, you're like, okay, this guy's like a different specimen. Like he's just so much fast. He does mm-hmm. everything so much faster than anyone else out there with Crosby. It was just, it was, it was still like so methodical, even though he was younger than he is now. And mm-hmm. the cool thing about Crosby who has what he is 32 points in 27 games. Um, the Penguins power play has been fine, but okay. Actually, before we get into Crosby, the Penguins and the Leafs are the two teams with the fewest power play opportunities this year. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the broadcast the other day. I think, I don't know if the two teams were playing or if someone was bringing it up, but I think it was a Penguins-Ottawa game. And uh, the commentators were saying how before the game, the Senators and everyone involved was saying how one of the keys to the game for them was to stay out of the penalty box because they know the Penguins' power play is so lethal. Mm-hmm. Are we buying that teams like are identifying and realizing that if you put the Leafs and Penguins and I guess maybe the Lightning on the power play, the you're Jets. screwed. So you're just like not mm-hmm. taking penalties? like. On the one hand, it makes sense. On the other hand, like these teams are so good that they have the puck more often than you. Mm-hmm. And if they do so and they're in dangerous spots to score, you're probably going to have to take penalties to avoid giving up goals. So I feel like some of it is probably just random early season stuff. But the Penguins have had like an inordinately low number of power plays this mm-hmm. year. Um, as a vocal proponent of just don't take penalties, yeah, I think it is possible. Um, some For some players, it's like in their DNA. For yeah. me, when I was playing hockey, I won most sports from like every year because I just <laughs> did, that was the Ryan O'Reilly yeah. just not taking penalties because like, it's not hard. Just just don't, like these are illegal activities. Just don't do them. Like you don't need to hack a guy. You don't need to crush a guy. Just, if you're out of position, you know what? Take your L. You don't need to be a little dick about it. Just don't take penalties. I just don't see how it's that difficult for professional players yeah. to just not do it. Yeah. And I don't know if teams are figuring that out against specifically Pittsburgh and Toronto. I don't know if there is a league-wide conspiracy against these two teams. Mm. I don't know if it's just teams just playing clean games. I it's it's so weird to me that yep. it's happening. And well, I mean, the reason I brought it up is because you know Crosby is well over a point a game. He yeah. only got eight power play points, mm-hmm. and the Penguins' power play has like been perfectly fine in terms of efficiency. But they've had such low volume that. Um, you know, he hasn't had the benefit. I mean, he had 38 power play points last year. Yeah. And we'd expect him on that unit to, you know, be able to accumulate some nice volume there. So if he's not, um, that kind of explains why it kind of contextualizes how the fact that he's actually having a really awesome season and he's probably going to flare with a hundred points again, which he hasn't done in a while. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, at this age, the fact that him and Ovechkin are still as good as they are, even though we keep hearing about this new era of guys that are coming in and redefining the game is, uh, it's cool that the, the torch still hasn't fully been passed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite for this award though, in terms of, uh, if you were betting and we talked about this was Johnny Goodrow. Yeah. 31 to one. I mean, the likelihood of him leading the league in scoring is probably not great, but at those odds, um, it'd, be an, really it'd odds, be an interesting yeah. flyer just because mm-hmm. that team obviously plays such uh, fast paced, exciting games and, He's right up there, and with Monaghan and Lindholm, like he's got a shot to do yeah, some pretty special I, things. I think they draw a lot of penalties as well. Because well, they should maybe give some tips to the Leafs and Penguins. Maybe, um, <laughs> but yeah, Gaudreau is one of the best in the league at that. Kachuk does it in his own special way. I know. So, I wonder if there's like a. I mean, I guess you could possibly look into this in the numbers, but like Matthew Kachuk is so annoying <laughs> that obviously he draws a lot of penalties on like himself. Yeah. But I wonder if there's like a residual factor where like he like leaves a lasting impression on the other team 
of leaving them and so annoyed they like he goes off the ice and they're just like oh, screw it. we're just gonna take a penalty on someone just because we're so pissed off at that guy <laughs> uh it's a special skill he's got mm-hmm. um I think that's it for the individual awards. I don't really want to get into like the Selkie. Is there anyone? Is the it? heart. All right, let's get into it. Let's get <laughs> the, into it. I mean, main, well, well, I mean, we just, cheese. well, we just, we just the big cheese. The big is that cheese. what we're calling the heart these days? Yeah, the big that's, what, that's what I just decided to call it right now. Uh, um, I'm hungry and not to be like confused with Marshall Erickson, the big fudge. Um, <laughs> all right, I because I don't think it's a necessarily a point debate because I would personally have McKinnon over Rantanen. Yeah. Um, I mean, McDavid is the most valuable player yeah. in hockey. Yeah. If you're not going to count goalies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, like John sure. Gibson's the most valuable player. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just not Gibson, McKinnon, McDavid are, I, I think, think the, so. The yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any um, defensemen that are w- warranting mm-hmm. discussion. Um, I don't know. I think that's, I think I'm cool with those three. Yeah. Um, I know Tyler Yellow brought this up on Twitter, I think a couple of weeks ago and he mentioned Sidney Crosby as a yep. potential candidate. And I think he's having a great season, like with his underlying numbers in yep. terms of carrying the penguins that I think despite the fact he only has 32 points and there's so many people like ahead of him, I think he's done enough elsewhere mm-hmm. to be in that conversation. Like he's currently tied with McKinnon in yep. game score per game. Right. And is in that conversation with him and McDavid. So I would like to see that. Imagine Crosby winning the heart and Ovechkin winning the rocket for Shard, just like old times. Yeah, it'd be fun. And yeah, like I said, I mean, obviously, if he starts getting more power play points, it'll help his uh, yeah. his counting stats and it'll help hit the case for him. But you're right. I mean, what he's done beneath the surface is, is very impressive. Um, yeah, I think... I mean, McDavid. Yeah, like, McDavid is... McDavid. Um, like, I don't want to rehash. We went through his last year. I mean, hopefully, like, if the Oilers do make the playoffs, then I feel like it'll be, like, impossible to not yeah. give it to him. Like, I just don't see an argument for it. Like, they're literally the worst team in the league with him not on the ice, and they're one of the best teams in the league with him on the ice. Like, I, what more do you need to see? For, like, it's literally the definition of most valuable. And yet, last year, just didn't see. We just looked the other way and said, let's give it to these fringe playoff team leaders. Instead. He's going to spoon-feed Alex Chasson 30 goals this year. That guy who said... Alex Sean is a dark, dark, dark horse for 35 goals. Is, is might be finally right. Adrian Dater. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that was a good, yeah, that was a long, long time ago. Um, amazing stuff. It was a long play. It was a long so play. We, we did. Yeah. He was uh, ahead of his time. We did. Uh, are you satisfied with the discussion? Yeah, yeah, with the big yeah, yeah, cheese. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, let's do, uh, let's do Stanley cup odds. Mm-hmm. So do you agree with the argument with the statement that, well, first off, the Jets and the Preds tops in the West. Are we all comfortable with that? Yeah, very much so. Um, Calgary's obviously yep. up there, and yep. they have the pillow soft division to get through, but I think it's. Well, those see, two if, I was, if I was betting the for Stanley Cup odds, mm-hmm. um, I'd rather bet the Sharks than the Flames, personally. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just think their upside as a team is higher. Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, both are probably good value plays just because that division is pretty open and they're not going to have to play the Jets or the Predators in the second round. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, like we saw last year, those two teams just beat the crap out of each other for seven games and then a Pacific Division team possibly waltzes in and yeah. steals that Western Conference final. And, you know, that's completely possible. We literally saw it last year. Um, do you think the Lightning should be considered um, in a tier of their own in the East? Or do you think the Leafs or the Capitals or anyone else should be lumped together similar to how the Preds and Jets are lumped in the West? I think they're in a tier of their own right now. Uh, It really depends on, I guess, how the season goes. Like, I think earlier this week I had the Lightning and Leafs virtually neck and neck, but Mm -hmm. that win yesterday, getting Vasilevsky back was enough to put them in their own tier. And I think the Leafs are in the middle between the Lightning and the two Western teams. Mostly because of how they played without Matthews, how they played without Nylander. Yep. And all these new young guys like Kapanen and Janssen stepping up, filling in the void of the players they missed yesterday exactly as the team hoped they would. And they have Matthews, Tavares, Kadri down the middle. It's just an incredibly strong team up front. And I think some of their half of their defense are underrated, half their defense are terrible. And it's a bad mix, but like 
it works out okay. And they have Anderson, who is yep. in the best of conversation. When you have a goalie like that, an offense like that, I think they belong in the space between Tampa Bay and the two Western Giants. Yeah, and it still feels like they're a prime candidate to make a move at some point between mm-hmm. now and the traded line. It's probably not going to be as big of a piece as some fans are probably hoping for, but you know they could add someone similar to what they did last year, although hopefully someone more useful than Thomas Boganich. But um, yeah, I like... Uh, I like that. I mean, I think it's going to come down to, I think that race for the first spot in the Atlantic division, similar to how it shaped out last year is going to be really crucial. Yeah. Because especially with the way the wildcard teams are looking right now, um, not having to play the Bruins mm-hmm. likely in round one would be a lot better with the like rest last of year. The how we saw like that cakewalk against the devils in round one yeah. really helped the lightning in round two where the Bruins by the time they got in there, like half their guys were either injured or completely spent mm-hmm. and they just waltzed right past them. So um, that's going to be huge. And obviously the Leafs are still within striking distance of the lightning. So I'm, I'm curious to see like how much um, that race is prioritized versus just getting ready for the playoffs. So to make sure you're healthy and, and fully functional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the lightning right now are pretty much almost have that. They don't have it sealed up, but like they have made a very nice cushion. themselves. Right. like, I have them at a very nice 69% to win the division nice. right now. Nice. And the Leafs can obviously be a factor in the lightning will maybe slow down. I think they've won eight in a row or something like that. And Toronto can realize their potential with an Elander in the lineup and make it a race. But right now it looks like it's Tampa's to lose there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. Um, let's uh, let's hand out some superlatives since we're doing awards. What's been uh, what's been your like favorite under the radar team to watch? Just in terms of like, like don't see like the Lightning or the Leafs. Like, I, I get it. They're they're very good. Um, has there been a team where like you're like finding yourself randomly tuning into their games and you're just like, why am I watching so much of this team? Um, my favorite under the radar team to watch is uh, the Anaheim Ducks, mm. and it is genuinely for you must hate bet. yourself it's just for betting yeah and it's because my model is much higher than them that my roommate is laughing right now because because <laughs> you're all in on the duck because of how many times you're like we betting on tonight and i'm like well the ducks are playing so um she might be laughing at netflix i don't know but it just was the time yeah. it was right and we've talked it's about this a lot ducks. um and yeah i just end up watching so many ducks games and in the early season, like it was really painful and there's just a big discrepancy between where my model was at and where the market was at. And then Andre Kosh came back and everything changed this team. I usually had just like massive bets on the ducks because I thought they were good and the market was treating them as a bottom five or 10 team. And they rattle off a lot of wins in a row. And I'm sitting here on the couch, just silently screaming at like 12 AM because it's late and my roommate's sleeping. I mean, in their defense, like, you know, with guys like Brandon Montour, mm-hmm. like they have like individual players that can do yeah. exciting things. Yeah. Like the overall package might not necessarily be exciting, but at least there's like the talent there. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I think, you know, my answer has got to be the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> they're, obviously their paces slow down a little bit, but yeah. like what they were doing for a while there in terms of like just load up on every, like if you're playing DFS or if you're betting, just like just go, go the over and just load up on every single player involved because yeah. my goodness, like why not? Especially why not? like Thomas Shabbat, like, Literally every, I said this in an article I wrote about him recently, but I think the two most potent uh, offensive units this year have been the one with Thomas Shabbat on it and the one he's playing against. That was like, a great tweet. Um, similar in scope because we thought they'd be bad to start the year and well, Ottawa is still bad, but this yeah. team isn't. I think Buffalo has been a fun team to right. watch as well. And Especially during that streak, like every game was going yeah. into like overtime and every game's close and they yeah. have that top tier talent. Uh, Darlene is insane to watch uh eichel was doing things skinner was showing carolina um a few miles away what uh it's like to put him with a competent center yep and uh yeah they've been a great team to watch i think yeah i think so too i think montreal has been uh also fun as well um you know i'm, I'm not sure uh how sustainable them being in a playoff spot is right now and what the second half of their season is going to look like but like surprisingly, like offensively, I've, I've I've really liked watching. Like I think the combination of Domi and Drouin has been, mm-hmm. um, you know, surprisingly effective, especially with Andrew Shaw on that line. And you know now they've got Weber back, and and so I've, I've kind of enjoyed them. Watch they and watching them, they've been a bit of a a guilty pleasure. What's a team that 
when you do watch them, you're just like, oh god, I Chicago. I'm really rethinking my love for hockey. Chicago, without a doubt, and the Kings are an abomination. Yeah, man. like they're like an affront to everything that is I've good even, and holy. I don't think I've tuned into like many Kings games since they started just being complete garbage. But I'm going to take your word for it. Um, I even like, I put on a Kings game and like. The commentators are like talking about like someone named Amadio or something, and like, they have so many guys. Who are like these guys don't exist. Like I remember, I think on the PDO cast a couple years ago, we yeah. talked about Pontus Abra, and yeah. we talked about guys who are made up. Yeah, the Kings lead the league in guys who are made up. Matt yeah. Luff. Yeah, I mean they're yeah the fourth line: Austin Wagner, Nate Thompson, Matt, Mike Amadio. Yeah, Matt Luff, second second line winger for them. Yeah, um, Alex Iafalo, first line winger. Yeah, they're uh, they've been really tough to watch. Yeah, so and, I just don't. Uh, but I've watched a few Blackhawks games because the same story as Anaheim uh where okay name I, name three defensemen who are currently in their lineup on the Blackhawks yeah oh, on on the on the Kings oh, on and the Kings. I, I will say that Muzzin and Alec Martinez are currently out um Drew Doughty yep Oscar Fantenberg okay well Paula Duke and only to brag okay yeah I get it you you also have looked at daily face off I mean yeah Paula Du, Oscar Fantenberg Sean Walker I actually didn't know that one. Is Dion from number, si- number 61. Yeah, he's out, but yeah, oh, oh he's still there. He's making like still, five and a half million for like three more years. Yeah, he's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the Kings have been upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like the Blues have also, like they have some talent, but I just expected such, such better things from them. So yeah, they've been tough. Um, they've been probably this year's biggest. Oh, you player. know what? The Islanders. Really? Yeah. I mean, they listen, they're sitting currently third in the Metro Division, so I don't think they're complaining. It's been a great story, considering people obviously expect them to completely fall off the face of the map after the summer they had. Mm-hmm. But in, like, Trotz is trusted up so hard with that team. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, they're playing such low event hockey, and they're just, like, scratching and clawing in every game, and it's so tight. And you know, it's, it's effective. Like it's, it's the way they have to play. Cause I think if they tried to play like the honor centers are playing, they'd be absolutely getting demolished. Yeah. That's what happened last year. Exactly. Yeah. But at least they had like with Tavares there, they actually had some offensive talent to get into some of those shootouts. Like I feel like now, mm-hmm. um, especially with Matt Barzell, not having such a great season. Yeah. Um, they would really be in rough shape. So I have not enjoyed watching them play. Uh, dumb. Let's, uh, let's get out of here. I was, uh, we're not going to do any Riverdale talk today. I'm like four episodes behind, that, thankfully. Let's just put this out there. Uh, Riverdale is just have complete, you, have, utter garbage. Are you still right watching? I didn't watch the most recent one, but like... I can't quit it, man. Like, I, I'm i so close to quitting it. Like, I know. It's just so... But every time you're about to quit it, something happens where you're like something's slightly redeemable and you're just like, I don't know. I think I, I, think, I, think, what, I could change the show. I think, I don't know. What redeemable aspects of this season have there been for you? Uh, yeah, it's been pretty bad. It's been off they're off the deep end yeah all the prison stuff has been insane yeah just just i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs) um okay sorry to upset you and and on such a sour note um (laughs) plug some stuff what uh what are you working on these days where can people find your work uh give me all the lowdown uh recently at the athletic i wrote about the top canadian teams for stanley cup odds so Mm -hmm. similar to what we were discussing and I think we were on similar pages where it's Toronto, Winnipeg, Calgary, and then everyone else kind of just. But you had Toronto ahead of Winnipeg. I would, I would say so. Do you? Where do you have them? Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, I think they're both probably the second best team in their conference. Yeah, in their respective conference, right? So it's right there. Um, so I don't know. I think you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong there. For me, like I think Toronto is ahead of them, and that's mostly. I think it comes down to goaltending because yeah. Hellebuck has not been. Yeah his best self this year and Anderson has been a best candidate. And True. I think that's the big difference because the two teams are similar in that they have incredible offensive players. They have three good defensemen and three bad defensemen. Well, Winnipeg has three and a half good defensemen. I'll, I'll give are you counting half. Dustin Bufflin as one and a half there? Or? I'm <laughs> no, I'm counting uh, Myers as half a good defenseman. Okay. Okay. And then the other two are just, very bad. Yeah, it's really fun. Like, because both teams also similarly are going to have interesting summers mm-hmm. with the RFAs they have to sign and how they figure make all the all the money fit. But with like Winnipeg, it's funny because you hear some of these conversations sometimes, and people are like, "Yeah, Winnipeg has a lot of questions." I mean, you know, they've got to sign Line A, they've got to sign Connor, they've got to figure out what to do with Tyler Myers. I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, are you like 
is this a big issue right now? Like just walking away from Tyler Myers? Like I would be looking into potentially trading him with a trade line for something. Like I, I don't. Someone, I think, someone commented on my article for this yesterday, and they said Toronto and Winnipeg. Tyler Myers for Jake Gardner. Who says no? <laughs> Travis Dermott just slides up to Gardner's spot. Gardner goes top four with Bufflin for some Wild West hockey. Yeah. Um, and the Leafs have a cromulent right-handed defenseman. Mm. Oh, man. Who Mike, has, Mike, Mike Babcock would love Tyler yeah, Myers. Yeah, and he has experience playing tough minutes, and I think I think he's a bit underrated for what he brings to the table. He can break even doing that generally and i think he'd be a good fit i i think toronto has the better player but i think the fact that they're still trotting along with ron haynes in the top lineup is yeah well obviously yes tilt the ice yeah i think so that so i think it they're both understood free agents i think it could work maybe yeah i can't see the i can't see something like that happening in the nhl it sounds too creative it's it's not even that creative. It's just like we have a left guy, you got a right guy. Let's uh Have you seen the way NHL teams operate? I I I I have. And you have a good point. Um yeah. All right. So check that out. Um mm-hmm. people can follow you on Twitter as well. Yep. Um at my name, Dom L U S Z C Z Y S Z Y N. All right. Hopefully you're listening to that at half speed and I uh, can figure that out. Uh Dom, this was a blast, man. And Surprisingly, Ruby was uh, pretty quiet. I'm I'm a little mad about it. She got really sassy when Dimitri came in. Yeah, uh, a lot of howling. I, I thought she would make a guest appearance, but she did not. So I'm a little pissed about that. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, we'll do this again soon. All right, take care. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com/slash Hockey PDO Cast.